Welcome to machine learning. Well, I hope uh, you enjoyed the bionics yesterday. Um, working to get set up to have another guest speaker talk about data warehouses. Um, the advantage of a data warehouse is that it provides you a very intuitive way to look at your data. You have fact tables, you have dimensions. Uh, dimensions can relate to other dimensions. They call that a Starflake configuration. And, uh, and then you have Data Vault where you have, uh, it's a different type of data warehouse, but you have introduced um, the idea of surrogate keys and um, which you have in warehouses, but you add, a, you add uh, satellites and uh, those satellites allow, or hubs allow you to add additional keys and relationships to your data. So in, in your database, it's gonna be constantly changing. Uh, new fields, new tables are gonna be added. Uh, some tables are gonna change. Uh, maybe it'll be additional fields or maybe there'll be different relationships. And uh, what the hub does is it allows you to add those additional relationships in the data easily. Um, so there's different types of uh, data warehouses. You, have, you can have uh, data march, you can have slowly changing data warehouse. What that, that does is it, it, it doesn't, uh, the slowly changing it uses a timestamp. So it keeps all the records uh, in the warehouse and you're using uh, a sequential number or a timestamp to keep the most current record. And so you can see that the, the change or over time, so no data is lost. And that's a, a slowly changing warehouse. It takes more effort to build a slowly changing warehouse. And the idea from reading Kimball's book uh, is that uh, you wanna have uh, a clean area and that's where you're gonna do your transformations, you do your extractions, your transformations. But he points out that everything should be rewindable. So let's say if you have, you're loading some data in and, and, uh, and then there's some failure due to maybe a typecast or maybe incorrect data or something. Uh, anyway, there's could be a number of reasons for a failure, but um, you detect that there's a failure in the uh, loading of the data. So then upon inspection, you discover the problem. It should be rewindable. At that point, you can rewind uh, and uh, retry the, the load process, the transformation, extraction, transformation, and load process. Because it might have been that for some reason that maybe uh, there's a problem in the query itself and so it failed. And um, so what Kimball suggests doing is having everything in flat file. So you extract it out as flat file and then you can do your transformation on the flat file and then you can read it in. Um, I like that, but uh, that that approach, and you and that approach, uh, you can use Python or PowerShell to do your transformations 
and that it could be things like you're going to clean up the data, you're going to group, um, you, you got to decide how you're going to handle errors in categories, missing data, and so it's just a lot of things like we do in Python or data science where we do we do the cleanup. Um, there could be there could be some bad data where uh, you know the maximum minimum uh, uh, ranges, and then occasionally there could be some data in there that goes way way beyond um, uh, two standards of deviation. Maybe it goes to three, and so it's the outlier group. And um, and so you want to have to decide how you're going to handle uh, the outlier data um, and then there's uh, there's bad data due to text so they instead of following rules of normalization uh, maybe they put free text in and so now you've got variations of different categories that were done in free text that that really should be uh, normalized and put into another table and uh, referenced by a foreign key constraint and so those are things that uh, you can then do groupings or in some cases you may even use uh, fuzzy logic to try to get a confidence factor back on a uh, match on on the names because it might be you know, let's say you have a string of words and uh, you know you could get like 90% confidence that that's the same thing maybe they're abbreviating in one and they're spelling it out in another um, but then you could apply like fuzzy wuzzy and, and try to get a uh, confidence factor on on that grouping um, that's kind of what I did with the movies I could see that there were lots of movies that had similar um, similar titles in two different data sources and so I was trying to you know, try to find matches. Uh, basically, I'll try to look at the gross earnings of that movie, but it didn't have an ID. It was by title, so I used a fuzzy wuzzy uh, confidence thing to, to, to do my matching that way. And it got some matches, and it, you know, it wasn't perfect, but uh, um, it did give me some results that I was looking for. And it would have been better than trying to figure out all the titles and then try to create a mapping for all the titles so it was a quick way to, to create the union uh, you can also try to do something like that uh, where you do some pattern matching where you clean up categories so you got clean up categories you're missing data uh, not a number and uh, outliers so those are things that you have to consider when you're doing your data transformation uh, you have a clean area, so you set up your stage tables, and then you move your stage tables into production. And um, uh, so, you know, before you go probably to production, you have some controls that you run to, to do some validation or test on your data to make sure that the ETF uh, extract and transform work properly, uh, your control numbers are looking good, uh, you know, you're looking at, and when you detect an error, in uh, doing a process insert or so, uh, then you would probably put that in a log, and and that might be for the whole uh, the whole extraction. So you're you're logging the the extraction. 
And that way, if there's, you know, like you're doing thousands of tables and, um, and processing those thousands of tables that, uh, um, that you're, you're looking and you're getting the uh, log. And so you're detecting when there was a failure to load and you don't have to worry about users calling you because sometimes it takes a little while for them to realize that the data didn't load properly. And so then they have to divert, you know, a resource to find out why it didn't, didn't load. And, uh, and by going to the logs, then you can see kind of a history of success or failure on those logs. And uh, you can have some alerts set off if there's a failure. You can have a thread running that detects that there was a failure. Send a notification to the data engineer and, or data warehouse manager and let them know that the data didn't properly load. Well, and one of the things that's really nice is since you're working with surrogate keys and everything has the, the constraints are known in your data, um, it's easy to then do inner joins. And so you want to do an inner join. And um, the cases where are, they're not a match, they should probably have uh, a null stored or, or an empty set stored uh, for that ID. So then you could do everything in your warehouse with inner joins. That's not uh, necessarily possible. I don't think the architecture is done that way personally. Um, so you're probably better off doing left joins if you think that the, the, the left side might have data but the right side doesn't have a one-to-one -one match. <clears throat> So you do left joins, and then if you do right joins, then it means that the right side has a more complete set of data than the left side. Um, you can also do a cross join, which I've done to do some of my uh, uh, analysis on usage per day. And across what a cross join does is it takes one table, let's say you have table for all the months in a year, or uh, starting with the start and end dates for uh, the months in the year. And, the, and then you want to do that for every, say every part, uh, and to, to build a matrix then to figure out the utilization for the year. So then you can just run that through your, your process and then you can store that in your warehouse, the results in a warehouse and do your reporting off of it. So it might take a little while to run, uh, but then, you know, uh, in most companies don't have billions or billions of parts. In this case, you know, uh, I was not dealing with millions, but thousands of parts. And, uh, and, then, uh, and then I could uh, see my utilization uh, graphs and then I could see and, and so then the, I, what I did is used a cross, cross join between the, uh, the, the months, the start and end date per month, and the part. And what that does is it creates a Cartesian join, which means that for every record, it creates um, all possible join or combinations with the uh, other tables. So um, each equipment, piece would get a uh, start stop for every month in the year.
well and uh, so that you know those are things uh, you can do inner apply or cross apply um, that's equivalent to an inner join and you can do outer apply which is similar to a left join and uh, cross cross apply or cross join excuse me and cross join uh, creates the Cartesian link you want to be careful about Cartesian joins because again if you have a large data set on the left side uh, you're gonna the resulting data set could be enormous so if you had 64,000 on the left side and you had 64,000 on the right uh, total possible combinations are 64,000 by 64,000 so you can see you could you could run out of memory uh, if you had large enough data set that you did a cross a cross join on plus it takes a lot of cycles on your CPU so when you're running these cross joins you, you can see a lot of CPU consumption um, I do like the warehouse because it takes a lot of the programming complexity puts it on the shoulder of the data engineer and uh, and then you you know you, you can set up your work tables and a lot of times you're reporting it doesn't need to be real time it can be a, a day late um, and if you need real time reporting then you can use the same SQL that you build the uh, warehouse fact table on as your SQL in your shared data set and that's what I do is I just build shared data sets that represent what I do with uh, um, my warehouse and then I, I build my warehouse and I do my Power BI reporting off the warehouse because um, I want the data to load quickly and um, and um, I don't need real-time data for my for my reporting on the Power BI side but if you did need uh, real-time reporting you could uh, build you know direct queries and uh, put them in stored procedures and then you could call those stored procedures for Power BI to return back your data some cases uh, that's way data science goes they'll build lots of store procedures improve efficiency uh, I like store procedures over views because sometimes views don't uh, use the power of indexes not always the case where they'll use an index where store procedure is more likely to use an index and uh, um, for that reason it's, uh, it's a preferred choice um, also enjoy the data warehouse in that it's intuitive. When I'm looking for data, I can look at it in terms instead of a catalog item number that might be you know represent a table name. Um, I, I can get a fully descriptive uh, name. Then my my data fields. I try to keep them fairly close to the database uh, names so that I'm not having to do too much mapping. Uh, if I have to trace it back to the database but you could uh, do very descriptive names in your aliases for the fields now in Power BI you can also change the database field names for display um, and again that does create 
if there's a question on a data thing, uh, data field, you're going to have to go look at the Power BI field and see what the original database field name was and then trace that back to the source. Um, so there's always a little bit of work uh, when you start changing mappings and uh, not a good idea too much to uh, make it difficult to trace back to the data source. And, uh, and because you might be dealing with lots of tables and uh, complex queries. Um, it's not uncommon for some queries to exceed 20 pages, you know, or more, depending on if the machine generates it. Like, I, for a little while, I was, like, thinking, well, what I'll do is I'll create uh, left joins, and and then I'll, I'll use the uh, uh, foreign key constraints to detect the relationships in the data, which I was able to do. And then I'll just have the machine build these monster uh, queries uh, that represent every all these different possibilities that I'm detecting. And I did. I detected, you know, 100, 200, 160 some odd relationships that were solid in, based on the foreign key constraints in the data and built these um, uh, large queries that basically had all the fields and uh, <coughs> alias and change. So I used a table underscore in the field name. And I had these large um, queries. And one thing I've noticed is that the larger, the more fields you have, uh, the when you run the query, the slower sometimes these queries are to retrieve. So there's these, there's the issue like you're building these monster queries with maybe even hundreds or thousands of fields uh, and expecting to have good performance, you're not going to have that. So, uh, you know, that approach, even though it, it was kind of a cool idea that the machine could discover relationships and build these, uh, sometimes they were very complex sequels. They had lots of connections and um, wasn't feasible in terms of the usage of the fields. And so, uh, you know, I kind of like, put that aside you know I was putting everything in as functional tables function tables and then I could then just in my code if I wanted to use it I could just uh, look for the function table that uh, um, that I kept um, a little dictionary that explained the relationship so I knew that you know what which, which tables were joined in that in that function table uh, and then I could you know just use that function table to extract data the idea was then is to use some sort of natural language processor then to uh, find out what type of data I wanted and then uh, look through these function tables to see if there was any relationship that exists and if there was then extract the data and see if it uh, uh, met the user's needs. But um, I think still we're, we're not to that level if there's... Uh, uh, again, you know, finding data is a search problem, and um, and uh, I think you go back to uh, more still the handcrafting and verifications with user cycles. So you do a feedback deal with them, where you you build the query, you do a, display the data to them, and then get feedback from them, and you continue that cycle until uh, there's no more feedback.